get, get myself in trouble. First Corinthians uh, chapter 3. Uh, we just like finishing this up. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, we studied uh, the first several verses, 1 through 9, I suppose. No, it's more than that, actually. But I just want to read the first four as a review. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able. You see the disappointment in his voice. For you are still carnal, where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you. Are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, or Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? The problem with the church, of course, was that there was some division in it. Uh, and now what we're going to talk about this morning is how to cure the division, verses 18 through 23. So uh, we'll continue on there. We pretty much exhausted the first part. Let no one deceive himself. Make yourself believe a lie. I believe the easiest person to lie to is ourselves because we want to believe the lie we tell ourselves in many cases. Uh, we know what the truth is. We don't like the truth, so we take something beside. We substitute something for the truth and uh, try to put the truth out of our minds. Deception. Don't deceive yourself about this matter. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, that is, wise according to the ways of the world, uh, this might be a person who is wise because of their profession. Might be a physician, an attorney, um, might be uh, an educator, whatever. Just because a person is wise in these things, okay, uh, that doesn't necessarily make him wise in the eyes of God. Let that person who is considered wise in the eyes of men, let him become a fool. This is what people think about the Christian. They're, they're fools. Believe in the unseen, the unknown, the unprovable. Uh, they, they look at us, many do, as uh, silly little people who need a God to uh, give us strength so we can carry on. Well, let this person who is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may truly become wise, that is, that he may gain the wisdom of God. In order for the person who is worldly-minded to become wise, He's going to have to empty himself of his vanity and be willing to listen to what the Creator has to say. If he's willing to listen to what the Creator has to say, he can't become truly wise. He's not going to be wise in mathematics or science or anything like that, but he's going to be wise in life in general, which is the wisest of all people. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? When you gain spiritual wisdom, you can answer the deepest questions uh, that we face, the most troubling questions. And that, of course, is uh, sickness, uh, turmoil, uh, and ultimately death. Uh, we have answers to those questions. The one who is wise in the ways of the world, he does not. He's rejected what God has had to say. He doesn't believe it. So he's uh, thinking about an alternative to the truth. Okay. He, he ap 
appears to be wise. And in some respects, he is. But when it comes to the things that really, a hundred years from now, what good is a physician? What good is an engineer? What good is a billionaire? A hundred years from now, everybody's going to be on the same platform. And the only thing that's going to separate people in the end is who has attained the wisdom God has given and who is not. That's all that anybody's going to care about. The rest of it's all going to be immaterial. It'll become a vague memory that probably fades from our minds. But uh, this is what must be done. And don't believe it can be any other way. Don't deceive yourself. Don't try to make yourself believe something that's not true. Uh, if you if you want to truly be wise, you've got to uh, humble yourself and listen to the Lord because that's the one and only source of wisdom. Why? For the, the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. The things that men achieve that puff us up about ourselves and causes people to look at us with great admiration, uh, these things are foolish in God's sight. A man can save lives. That's a good thing. It really is a good thing. I mean, I appreciate it a whole lot. But if he doesn't learn about eternal life and the things of God, what good is it going to do him ultimately? What value is it going to be? No value whatsoever. So these things prove ultimately to be foolishness. God said it is he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts <coughs> of the wise that they are futile. <coughs> the wise uh, can be wise religiously speaking. And more than likely, this is what the apostle is talking about, given our context. Uh, those preachers or teachers uh, uh, that, are, that are great orators. Uh, some people, I've listened to some people uh, speak, and I think, boy, I wish I could talk like that. You know, I've never been a talker my whole life. I'm not a good talker. Um, and I've listened to men who could, who could talk. I mean, just they could just mesmerize you with the way they talk. Uh, and it sounds so, so good, so interesting. But the problem is, at the end of the day, I mean, when he gets done with his talk, the question is, what did you get out of it? What did you glean from What did you learn? And it, it, the answer is nothing. You're coming up empty. Uh, he didn't fill you your vessel. Uh, and this happens uh, many times, even among uh, preachers, this is the case. Uh, some uh, have uh, degrees. I, I had a preacher one time that told me to call him when I got a Ph.D., and then he would talk to me. <laughs> We're brothers in Christ. He said, call me when you get your Ph.D. and I'll talk to you. Well, uh, he speaks a lot of words. A good speaker, too. I've heard him. Problem is, uh, what he teaches isn't true. And people look up to him. They admire him. They hold him on a pedestal. They follow him. And uh, in the end, it's... It's all going to be for nothing. And it's very sad. Oh, he's successful now, yeah. I mean, he's 
he's him. And uh, so many people look at him with great admiration. But in the eyes of God, uh, he, he's a fool. He abandoned the truth for the lie, and he's a fool. Paul says, don't let anybody deceive you. No one. When a person talks, listen to what they say. Compare what they say to what God has said and see if they're talking the same thing. Because sometimes it's not what happens. And it's, uh, it's very unfortunate that it's that way, but it's always been that way. Therefore, let no one boast in men. Uh, there's nothing wrong with admiring, respecting a person. Nothing wrong with that. But they can't become God. That's, that's the problem. When a man becomes God, when a man's word is the word, you got a problem. Uh, if I do my job rightly, the only thing I actually say is what God has written. That's all. Ultimately, that's what comes out. Uh, I'm not supposed to go beyond that. I'm not supposed to fall short of that. I'm supposed to expound on it, yes. But it, ultimately, it's got to be the truth that comes out. Uh, and you should recognize that not only in me, but all people. You don't want to boast in men, follow men. All things are yours. Uh, there's no uh, PhD in the world that's uh, greater in the eyes of God than you are. They might be greater in the eyes of men, but not in the eyes of God. He doesn't care if you have a PhD or a fourth grade education. He can care less about such things. What's important is who your heart belongs to, and that's what you want to focus on. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death all, or things present or those things that are to come, they belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ is God's. Uh, now, chapter 4. Uh, the ministry of the apostles, what is a true servant of Christ? Uh, chapters 1 through 3, we got to do a, a little uh, preview of what's to come. A brother is not to be elevated above a brother. That's what we've learned, right? Don't boast in anyone, right? Don't lift one man above the others. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's uh, not always the way it is, but that's the way it's supposed to be. Let a man so consider us, that is Paul, us, the apostles, those who are inspired of God, in, in particular, though, the apostles. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Servant, from the word doulos in the Greek, means uh, a slave. Let, let a man look at us. He's a slave. He belongs to Jesus Christ. In addition, he's, he's a steward. As a steward, he receives the master's goods. The steward, most of the time, the steward was uh, the person in charge of household affairs. Today, we call him a house manager. Okay, you got uh, the husband and the wife up here, and right below them, you got the house manager. He takes care of all the business that pertains to their property. Uh, and then the man and the woman, they do whatever they do to make their living. But the steward is the person who he, he, he employs uh, uh, the help, 
the servants that are working in the house, uh, those who are uh, counting the money, or whatever the case is, going to the grocery store. The steward is the person who is in charge of those matters. He tends to the business of the master, okay? Paul said, now that's what we are, we apostles. We're slaves and we're the stewards of Christ, okay? We're not elevated above anyone else. We're not greater than the average Christian. We're brothers. We're equals. We just have a specific job, a specific work that we've been called to do. Christ, of course, is the master. Then you have the stewards. What's, what's happened in the first century is that the Lord, of course, he held the mysteries of God. The world was, was dark. It didn't understand the mysteries of God. Christ held the mysteries of God. He turned those mysteries over to his stewards, the apostles, into all the world, which they apparently did. And then they were to take those mysteries and preach them throughout the earth. This is what Paul's talking about. Uh, we didn't sit in a cushy, cozy office. We weren't waited on by other people. We didn't go out and enjoy uh, elaborate meals uh, with Christians. Somebody who was um, uh, taking the chief out for dinner, as may have been the case at Corinth. Uh, we were workers. We worked. That's what we did. We worked. And in the process of our work, uh, the persecutions we had to endure uh, were multiplied over the average Christian. What they preached, of course, was words. These words came from Christ. Therefore, if you're going to exalt anyone above others, exalt Christ. He's the one that gave us freedom from our sins. Stuart, they were middlemen. They were the oracles of God. They just passed on what had been given to them. And therefore, they are not to be exalted above men. Uh, that would be the wrong thing to do. Admired, absolutely. But exalted, we can't do that. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Uh, to be faithful is to execute your responsibilities, to do the work that the Lord gave you to do. Those men had a specific job that they were given to do. When it came to waiting on tables, what did the apostles tell the brethren to do? Look among yourselves. Find seven men who are capable of waiting on tables. But as for us, no, we're going to tend to the word of God in prayer. That's what we have been called to do. And that's what they did, okay? And they didn't back up from it. Uh, you got to get in your mind the preachers that the Corinthians have been observing and what Paul's saying about the apostles. I mean, if you're going to elevate anybody above another, you're going to elevate the apostles above everybody, right? They're, they're, the, they're the ones that was with the Lord personally. So 
They would be the ones to exalt. But they were workers. Well, what about your preacher? Is your preacher working? Or is he just playing golf? What's the preacher doing all week while you're out laboring? What's he doing that would have any semblance of the work of Christ? You can learn a lot about people just by watching what they do and don't do. Uh, it's a word-for-word -word transmission, verses, uh, chapter 2 and verse 13, and uh, we have to focus on each word as we come to them. Now then, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or human court. What you think of me doesn't matter. And if you take me into court, it doesn't matter. If you take me before the elders, it doesn't matter. Because their judgment isn't the final judgment in my behavior. But there's even more. In fact, I do not even judge myself. It's not up to me to determine whether I'm saved, whether I'm a recipient of grace and mercy. That's not a decision I make. That's something that the Lord does. I know nothing against myself, Paul says. I don't know any sin that I'm guilty of. I believe in my mind, he's saying, that I stand here without sin by the grace of God. Yet, I am not justified by this. This doesn't make me saved because I think I'm saved. That doesn't mean I'm saved. But he who judges me is the Lord. That's the one and the only judgment that matters. What does Jesus think about me? That's what's important. And that's what a wise person will look to uh, in everything they do. I know, I know, uh, a lot of preachers, well, back used to, and I could get out and go more. I knew uh, a lot of preachers that uh, worship with churches where they were <clears throat> told what not to speak on. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Drunkenness. They were not to talk on such things unless they could talk about them in the affirmative position. Otherwise, don't mention them. And the preachers, uh, they got families, okay? They got the wife and the kids. The kids are in school. They, they've been worshiping with this church for five or ten years. And if they don't do what the elders tell them to do, they're going to be replaced. Then what do they do? What do they do? They should. That's the right thing to do. They will. Absolutely. They will. But now, they're in a pickle. They're in a pickle. Their guts are churning. Their knees are knocking. They're afraid to do the right thing. 
some do leave. That's all they got to do is they can leave. Uh, some do not. They stay and they do what they're told to do because they need the financial support the brethren are giving them. Uh, it's a difficult thing. That's a difficult thing for a preacher. Uh, I always uh, had a job and never had to really worry about that. Somebody fired me. Well, that was okay too. Uh, it wasn't really going to change my life. Uh, I just keep on working. <laughs> but a lot of preachers, maybe most, I don't know if it's most or not, probably not, but a lot of preachers, uh, their livelihood's hanging in the balance. And that's all they know how to do. And it's very, 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 very hard. There's only one right answer, and you're right. They gotta leave. If they don't leave, the Lord is not going to be happy with them. If they do not preach the whole counsel of God because they know they'll get in trouble if they do, well, they didn't say anything wrong, but they did wrong because you've well, got to preach. So does that mean their faith isn't strong enough to pray to God? All right, this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, that's exactly what it means. Their, their faith falters. Preachers are just people. They're just like you and I. Uh, you and I. <laughs> Sometimes I forget I preach. <laughs> uh, and they have, uh, they have concerns. Uh, some have more faith than they have fear. And uh, some do not. Different people, different strokes, different folks. Uh, when, when, you, when you start talking about faith, it's easy to talk about faith. You know, I got all kinds of faith. But uh, we never really know how much faith we have till it's put to the test. When, when faith is put to the test, we learn something about ourselves. Uh, if you've ever been in a position where you thought about ducking your responsibility, uh, you learn something about yourself whether you're more concerned about what people think or the Lord. And it's a, it's a terrible moment in your life. If you come out of it on top, you feel better about yourself. But if you fail, uh, it, it's going to haunt you from now on. I don't care what you say. It's still going to haunt you uh, because you know you're wrong. But sometimes, you know, pe preachers come up short on faith. It's one thing to have knowledge. A person can have a great deal of knowledge and still not have faith. Faith is trusting the Lord first. The Lord will take care of me. That's the first thing about faith. It's ferocious. If it's present, it's ferocious. A person will go through all sorts of maladies because of faith and without faith we we can't we won't be able to hold our own we're going to buckle under and uh in a lot of ways to do that a lot of ways um, not reaching out to a friend why it's a friend why wouldn't you reach out to a friend They might be sitting on death row. 
It's my friend. I care for my friend. What stops me from reaching out to my friend or, or, or a family member? Sometimes they tell us to shut up, and when they do, well, we got to shut up. But uh, we'll find another opportunity somewhere down the road to say a little something. Uh, what do we do in those uh, what seems like very tiny moments that suddenly become huge when somebody like me asks the question? What about your friend? You ever say anything? Why not? The Lord said, say something. To the whole world, to every creature on the planet. Why not my friend? I talk to a big crowd every week. What about my friend? Why not? Well, maybe I don't really care for him that much. Maybe I don't really love him that much. Maybe I'm, I'm more interested in myself, my own condition, than I am my friend. Or maybe I'm, I'm just afraid that they won't like me anymore. We learn a lot about ourselves as we live, especially if some goober from time to time asks questions like that. Uh, I don't know anything against myself. I believe I'm saved. Matter of fact, I know I'm saved. But I still know at the same time that judgment belongs to the Lord, not me. And I know he's gracious and merciful, and that's what I depend on. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Judge nothing before the time. Never think you've reached the plateau and it's time to sit back and relax or take it easy. Never think you get to that moment in time because you still got a race to run as long as we have opportunity and ability. We must run our race. Unlike the teachers who had divided the body of Christ at Corinth, Paul was confident that he and Apollos would receive praise from the Lord because of their pure devotion to Jesus. Those teachers that the Corinthians looked up to, they were not going to fare well in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ because they substituted the lie for the truth. They looked good on paper, but when they stood before the Lord, they weren't going to fare well. Paul and Apollos, on the other hand, uh, were of a different material. Uh, they served the Lord from devotion. They had no ulterior motives. It was just devotion to Christ. The ministry of the apostles, conceit and humility. Now these things, brethren, uh, I figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes. In other words, I didn't want to call these teachers out by name. So I used me, Apollos, and Cephas as examples that people would follow behind one or the other. Uh, most 
preachers do that, I think. Uh, we don't call out people by name. It, it would be too embarrassing, and it would be the wrong thing to do, frankly. So uh, we, a lot of times we lay, the, lay it on ourselves, or, or, or we just create a hypothetical situation in order to illustrate what we're trying to get across. The reason that you may learn in us their way of doing, that you may learn in us, one, not to think beyond what is written, two, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against another. There were two reasons why Paul, or Paul uh, gave them this illustration, uh, so that you won't think beyond what is written. We have uh, the word of God. It's all sufficient, we're told. In addition to that, we're told that every spiritual blessing that's possible is found in Christ. It's already there. If that's true, if the New Testament is a capsule of everything we need to know, then anything that's said in addition to what the New Testament reveals would not be true. Don't think beyond what is written. You know, you, you, you can think about uh, what heaven, heaven is like I mean, you, you, can, you can grow images in your mind. That, that's not wrong. But don't start, don't start creating battles in heaven. Don't start creating battles on the earth. These things aren't discussed. The, the tanks and the airplanes and, uh, and the aircraft carriers, these things aren't contained in the Word of God. Keep it down to what's revealed in the New Testament. And don't go beyond that. Number two, that nobody would be puffed up against another. There's no Christian person greater than any other Christian person. Uh, I've always felt like there were, were actually a lot of people that was uh, greater than me. You know, I looked up to, uh, I had great respect for, uh, I considered to be much more holy than I was myself. And I was probably right on all counts. Uh, they were uh, by far everything I hoped to be, but wasn't, at least at that point in my life. Now, th that's not wrong. But when they become my Lord, I've gone wrong. When their word takes precedence over what's written in the book, I've strayed off because Jesus uh, is my leader. And no matter how much I respect and honor people, and I do, always have and still do, uh, they can't become the final word. I remember uh, teaching one time a class, uh, and we just took it like we are now as a Bible class and uh, we just took a verse and uh, examined the contents of that verse well it said something a man uh, thought was wrong not that the Bible was wrong he said but that I was wrong I only I only said what the Bible oh I remember what it was 
It had to do with the elders and children, the word children. Uh, I kind of got caught out of left field. I didn't know there was an argument over it, but there was. <laughs> I found out. Um, the Bible, uh, the elder must have uh, faithful children, and that means two or more. Well, I guess to an English reading person, it would. You would think multiple children. But when you examine the Bible and you examine uh, the Greek text, you find out that that's not the case at all. The word children can be used in lieu of a child or children. It can be used either way. Sometimes the word children appears and it only means child. And sometimes the word child appears and yet the child has siblings. You have to look at the context of what the person is speaking about. And when I come down to this particular subject, uh, a fellow took uh, issue with me, and uh, I could understand why, actually, uh, because uh, of the language, the way it's written. Sometimes the English version really doesn't capture the flavor of the Greek text. But at any rate, <laughs> well, it's the best we got. Uh, at any rate, uh, what happened was, he said, uh, Brother so-and-so said, and I said, well, I understand that, but uh, look at what the Bible says right here. No, no, Brother so-and-so. Why didn't he want to look at the Bible? Why did you want to listen to brother so-and-so? Well, I guess, I think, I don't know, but I'm imagining that in his mind, brother so-and-so was uh, the greatest preacher alive. And if brother so-and-so said it, it must be true. And I, I said, are you sure he believes that? And he said, yeah, because I knew who he's talking about. I said, uh, won't you call him and ask him? So he did. He called him and he asked him. And uh, Brother So-and-so said, well, yeah, it means one or more. He said, now, wait a minute. You was, you, you was here at this congregation one time, and you said it means two or more. And, and Brother So-and-so said, I, I did, yeah. I used to believe that. But since then, I've learned that that's not the case. Preachers are people, just like we are. They learn. They have to learn. And as they learn, they learn new truths. I know I've been doing it for a while. There's things that I used to think that I don't think now. It's because I've, I've, I've received more knowledge since that time, more wisdom. I've learned better. I've learned the Greek language for one thing, <laughs> and that helps a whole lot. But uh, I've learned more about context, how to use context, how to siphon through it and find out what the truth is. The, the Bible is written in such a way that we have to work for knowledge. You got to dig. It's like digging in a mine. You got to dig to find those golden nuggets. 
And the more of those golden nuggets you find, the more truth you have in your heart. And the more truth you get in your heart, the better you understand the bigger picture of everything. That's just the way it goes. After Brother So-and-So told him that the Bible was right, he decided uh, that he agreed with that too, somewhat reluctantly, I think. But uh, I, he never mentioned it again, so I don't know how it ended. At any rate, uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes we see things that aren't there. Uh, it's been, that's happened so many times. Churches have actually split over some of the silliest things you ever heard of. And it's so sad that that's the way it goes. It's, it's, it's good to be uh, reasonable and try to talk things through rather than just flare up and get angry. It's better to realize I don't know everything and maybe you can impart some knowledge that I never had before. That happened, that happened to me in a Bible class here one time. I was teaching a Bible class. I'll never forget it. And Peggy Anderson said something. You know, I never thought about that. So I went home and I thought about it all week. And I came back the next week and I changed my mind. And I told everybody I changed my mind. Because I had a little bit more knowledge than I had the week before. That's just the way it goes. Yeah. There was a, a lady here, I recall, uh, when I admitted my imperfections, she told me afterwards that she couldn't tolerate an imperfect preacher. And uh, I said, I'm sorry, but that's the truth. She never came back here again. I don't know where she ever got off to, but she never will come back again. I, I'm surprised you think I was perfect. <laughs> Everybody knows that's not true. Okay, who makes you differ from another? Who elevated these men to leader status? Whoop. Was this thing of the Lord or was it appointed by men? What makes you differ from another? What do you have that you did not receive that you're puffed up about? Your knowledge? The, the gifts you have? Is that what makes you puffed up, brother? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? If a man was to boast about his knowledge, it'd be kind of silly because God provided the knowledge. What are you going to boast about? Well, I memorized it. Okay, good for you. But what's there to boast about? Anybody can memorize. What's there to, well, I, I've learned what it means. Well, that's good. That's very good. But why would you boast? It was given to you. It's not as though you created it. It's not as though you formed it. You are already full. You are already rich. He's speaking about the teachers, of course, at Corinth. You have reigned as kings there at Corinth without us, that is, the apostles. You've done well for yourselves, according to the human picture. You've done well. 
the teachers were full, rich. They were reigning as kings there at Corinth. The apostles, on the other hand, were hungry, poor, and serving, uh, serving servants. Look at the difference between the teachers of Corinth and the apostles. If I put anyone on a pedestal, it would be the apostles. But here we have men putting the teachers on the pedestal while the apostles are down working in the trenches. It's just so unreasonable when you look at it. And Paul's trying to cast this unreasonable image before them so that they can understand what a, a foolish thing they're doing. The Corinthian teachers learned the gospel from the apostles. They were their teachers. Why would they boast? And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we might also reign with you, our disciples. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles last, as men condemned to death. You ever thought about that? I want you to think about that this week. I think that God displayed us, the apostles, last, least in the kingdom, as men who are condemned to death. Come on in. I think I lost my microphone again. We'll, uh, we'll stop here, God willing. Uh, we'll begin here next week.